0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Lavernia Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about what you hear, or if you would like to speak with one of our pastors, you can find all of our contact information at www.fbclv.com. I read a study this week that talked about the human body and some of the things the body does on a daily basis. Your heart beats 103,689 times. Your blood travels 12,000 miles. You breathe 23,040 times. You inhale 438 cubic feet of air. You eat 3.25 pounds of food for breakfast. You drink 2.9 quarts of liquid. You speak 7,000 words. You use 750 different muscles. Your nails grow one-tenth of a millimeter per day. Your hair grows 0.35 millimeters per day in some places. And you exercise seven million brain cells. And all of these things happen every single day. So this would be a normal day for a human body. And as Chad said earlier today, we're going to talk about a day that is anything but normal. It will be a day like there has never been before. If you have your Bible, turn to Second Peter. We're gonna be in chapter three today, looking at verses one through 18. What does the waiting room have to do with the day of the Lord's return? First, we see this, if you're a note taker. The day of the Lord is a day some doubt. I saw a video this last week of a man who talks about using a spell book when he was speaking to a church setting or a worship setting, and the response and reaction that he got from the crowd. Watch this video.
1: I walk into this church, and it was a church that had the word Bible in the title. And I said, uh, I had a weird thing happen. I passed an occultic bookstore. So I decided to go in and check it out, and I saw a book that said, Book of Spells. And I opened it up, and I decided to read a few, and they were really fascinating. And so I did something. I bought this book of spells, and I thought I'd bring it here tonight, and I want to read a few of these spells out of here for you. I just want to kind of see how they land with some of you Now, as I'm talking about this, I'm starting watching people fidget. I finally go, stop, 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 time out, okay? Before you get too upset, I did not buy a book of spells. All right. Some of you in this room thought that if I got up here, and read out of a book of spells that some dark power would be unleashed in the room that might get on you and your family. But every week, you guys come in here and read the Word of God and don't think it's going to have any effect at all.
0: Ooh, that stings a little bit. I want to try to do that, but I don't know if I could do it as well as he did it because isn't that the truth? The moment he said spell book, some of y'all were going, oh. Now, listen, I'm not sure if I believe in all that, but I've seen them hocus-pocus movies. I watched The Craft when I was in high school. Maybe you've read those Harry Potter books. Spells are bad business. Don't be reading those spells here in the church house. And yet, isn't it true that every day we have access to the living, active Word of God, but we treat it as though it is absolutely powerless? And why would that be? Could it be because maybe we have some doubt in Second Peter, here's how the book begins. He's writing to the church, these are followers of Jesus, about confirming their calling in Christ, supplementing their faith until the coming of Jesus. He warns against the false prophets, the false teachers, and the judgment that is to come. Then he picks up in chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. This is a second letter, so he's confirming the author is Peter, he's confirming the audience is the church, and here is my intention, beloved. Beloved, these are people that I am concerned for, people I'm compassionate about. I love you, and I am on your side as I write these words. I want to remind you, I want you to remember the words of the prophets and the teachers, the commandments of Jesus, and all the things that are to come while we're in these last days. The last days of the days between the first and the second coming of Jesus. We are in the last days. During those days, there will be scoffers and there will be mockers who will come and they will say things like, listen, all that happened a long time ago, it's not really applicable to your life anymore. And I know there were prophecies, that were supposed to be fulfilled, but there's so many of them that were never fulfilled, I'm not sure we could even trust this, and all those commandments, those aren't really anything important anymore. You don't really need those in your life, the scoffers and the mockers, because they are living according to their sinful, greedy, selfish lifestyles, and they think they are not going to be held accountable specifically, here is one prophecy as he writes to them that they're going to say is not going to come to pass, verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is this promise? All you believers and you Christians, you keep saying something about Jesus coming back and the return of the Lord, but we haven't seen anything like that. There's been no evidence. There's been no movement. I've not gotten a text message, an email, no doves flying around with messages. I've gotten nothing since the death of the fathers, most likely meaning the Old Testament patriarchs. Nothing's happened. And yet you claim this promise and you talk about it like it's going to really happen, but we've seen no evidence. So why would you keep believing something that when everything else in the world seems to point to this truth, it's never going to really happen? Verse five. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word of heavens and the earth that now exist, they are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of the judgment through destruction. Of the ungodly, they don't believe Jesus is coming back, and they also don't believe that anybody is going to be held accountable, or there will be a day of judgment. He goes, somehow they've overlooked or they've forgotten about this fact that there was a day and a time when God looked at the earth and He saw how wicked that it was, and God brought judgment upon the earth through the flood. Somehow they just forgot about that. You know, Noah and the big boat and the flood wiped everything out, but God says He won't flood the earth again. Instead, the next judgment is coming will be through fire. Are there really scriptures that teach us? This is a great point we have to understand. Don't believe something just because that's what you heard when you were a child. Don't believe something just because that's what the guy on the radio said or that's what the preacher said on Sunday. You believe something because you can find it and you can read it in God's Word. Are there really scriptures that tell us that Jesus is coming back and that there will be a judgment one day and that there will be fire? John 14, 1-3 most of you have heard at a funeral. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so. Would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Acts one eleven. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Scripture's about the fire, Deuteronomy 32. For a fire is kindled by my anger. It burns in the depths of Sheol. It devours the earth and in its increase. It sets on fire the foundations of the mountains, Zephaniah 118. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord and the fire of his jealousy. All the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make of all inhabitants of the earth. These scriptures are definitely in the Bible for us to read and for us to know. And so what does it mean for us in the waiting room? The video today, the waiting room was filled with people who got called before Chad did. In other waiting rooms, we see that there are people who are all around us and some of them are filled with hope. Some of them are filled with joy and with cheer and they believe good things are going to happen. Other people are in that waiting room. They're absolutely filled with doubt and with fear going, I'm not sure there's even a doctor back there because I've been sitting here for three hours and they took my money, but I have had no results. I'm not sure they can help me. I don't know there's going to be a good prognosis. They don't have a medication. They don't have a treatment. They have all kinds of doubt. And in this waiting room that we look at today, he says, you're going to be there with other people that are scoffers and mockers. And they're going to say, there's no such thing as judgment day. There's no such thing as the Lord holding everyone accountable. It's not going to happen. Jesus is not going to come back. And so he says, here's what you need to understand. One thing, one day, everything will be demolished. One thing, everything that you have ever seen or known is going to be gone. And so when that day comes, what is the most important thing that you can do in your life and that you can pursue? What do you believe needs to happen today if you are truly waiting for God to come back? What's the reason that it's taking him so long? Number two. It's a day that draws near. Second Peter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Remember, I care for you, I'm on your side. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, as a thousand years is one day. Don't overlook. Don't hide. Don't forget. Don't ignore. Don't let this escape you. Beloved, I'm trusting you. I believe in you. I love you. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. And what this means for us is not necessarily a literal translation, but it says saying that obviously our timetable is not like God's timetable. And with these scoffers and with these mockers are going, listen, it's been a really long time that you guys have been talking about Jesus coming back. I'm not so sure he is because nothing has happened so far. And he says, well, that's because to us, it seems like it's been a really long time. But to the Lord, it doesn't seem like it's been a very long time at all. And here's the reason that God is waiting to come back. It's not because he's been complacent. It's not because the Lord is lazy. It's not because he made a pact and decided that he's not coming back until the Cowboys or the Bengals win the Super Bowl back-to-back years, and then, boom, here I come. Instead, the reason that the Lord waits is because he is being graciously and infinitely patient, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's waiting so that more can be saved. More lost children can come and be found in the truth of the gospel and the goodness. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, He desires that all people shall be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we hear that and we think, okay, well, just the people I know in my own life or in my own circle. There's a lot of lost people around here across the world. There's millions of people who do not know the goodness of the gospel. So surely if there's millions and God is being patient, then he's not coming back for a really long time. He says, don't have that attitude, but instead, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done, it will all be exposed. Like a thief, not doing something illegal, but shockingly, unexpectedly, Jesus will return. He says the heavens will pass away, the skies will be burned up, everything will be destroyed and exposed. And this is not a message on the end times. This is not a message on what it's going to look like, but we do have to understand a few certain things to be particular so that we don't misunderstand what these verses are. There is a difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. They are not the same event. And so the rapture, some people believe is gonna happen at the beginning or right before the tribulation. Some people think it's gonna be right in the middle. Some people think it's going to be at the end. But here's things that we do know and believe that are differences between the rapture, when God calls us home, or when Jesus returns. And these four things come from David Jeremiah, who is an expert on the end times. At the rapture, Jesus will return for his saints. But at the second coming, he will return with his saints. At the rapture, Jesus will not descend down to the earth. At the second coming, he will descend to the Mount of Olives, and as a prelude, this will be to his earthly ministry reign. At the rapture, Jesus will bring a blessing for his saints. At the second coming, he will bring judgment for those who have rejected him. The rapture could occur at any moment. The second coming will occur seven years after the rapture, depending on where you land. There's a lot of things when we talk about the end times and about the rapture and about the second coming that are debatable, but they should not be divisive. These are things that we can say, I'm not really sure I agree with you. I really think that the rapture is coming at the end of that tribulation. That's okay because that's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying that the basis of your faith and the whole of your salvation in Christ depends on when you think God's going to call you home or when Jesus is coming back. Instead, he's saying these are basic truths that you need to understand and comprehend in your life. Jesus is going to call his believers home. Jesus is going to hold you accountable for what you have done. One day, Jesus is coming back, and he will make things new. There will be a new heaven, and there will be a new earth. These things are promised to us in Scripture, so do not doubt. Isaiah 65, 17, for behold... I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, Revelation 21. 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. He says, this is a warning, and I want to remind you, and I want you to know, this is what is going to happen. This is what is to come, regardless of what the scoffers and the mockers may say to you. You can trust this, and here's what you need to do with it in your life, Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, the heavenly bodies will be melting as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Since we all know and since we all see that one day everything that we have ever known will be dissolved, what should then be the focus of our life? Holiness and godliness. In an age where sinfulness and selfishness is promoted. In a day and time where the scoffers are saying God is never gonna come back. He is not gonna hold you accountable. You just do whatever you want to do in an age, in a day where people can say, I can live and be and choose however I want, and I have no fear of a consequence. Here's your one job. You live the best life you can to be godly and holy, obedient in your faith. This was written somewhere between 50 and 150 A.D., That's a long time ago, and what a message that we need to hear right in the world that we live in today. Our world says there is no absolute truth. This is a postmodern world. Your truth can be whatever you want it to be. That's a lie from hell, but we believe it because there's scoffers and there's mockers who tell us that. We live in a society that says there is no absolute morality, You just choose whatever's right or wrong or feels good or bad for you, and that can be your truth. That's a lie. There is absolute truth. There is absolute morality. We live in a world where sin is promoted and encouraged. We live in a world where gender can now be chosen. We live in a world where people no longer have a fear of God Almighty. And Peter says, do not listen to the world but instead you keep your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. You follow the commands of scripture, you seek the will of God, and you avoid all traps of sin. I saw this quote this week from Shane Pruitt. This is so good, I love this. There is no version of Christianity that permits you to continue sinning just because of God's love for you. True love inspires true obedience. There's no version of the story that says, well, because God loves me, it's okay for me to keep living in sin. It's not there. It's not in the Bible. It can't be found. And yet we believe or we hear this lie. We have to live a life that looks more like Jesus every single day and a life that shows that we know and we believe that Jesus is coming back and he's gonna hold us accountable. Number three, unfortunately, it's still a day We deny. Last Sunday, right after service, one of our younger members came up to me and he's in kindergarten. He says, Pastor Josh, I have a question. This could go any direction, so I'm not really sure. Okay, I'm ready. Lay it on me. He said, Once a Chateletus. Chateletus. Oh, I'm thinking never seen that word, never heard that word. And so as he says it, right, in a five-year-old voice, Chattelitus, this is the way I imagine it to be spelled, Chattelitus. Is that like a special at Sammy's? Like I'll have the number three, the Chattelitus with queso on top? Is it a type of, you know, chimichurro, a Chatalidas? Is it an animal like a chupacabra, you know, nobody ever sees it? I go, buddy, I have no idea. He goes, well, you say that word every week. I have never said that word in my life, Bud. Yes, you do. You say it every week, right before the last song, us. Then it struck me, and what he hears me say every Sunday is this: Chad, you lead us every week. Every week, I say if the Lord is speaking to you. Right, move now, Chad. You lead us. Chad, you lead us. And in his innocent mind, he thought that was a one-word proclamation, right? The Lord's moving today, folks. Don't be still. Chaguletus. 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 I was blind. I had no idea what he was talking about. And I was going, I really want to understand you. Get mom over here. I might need an interpreter. Chaguletus. I just couldn't see it. And then I realized what he meant. I think so many times we are blinded. And we have no idea and we don't understand what it really means that Jesus is coming back. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable, they will twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people or lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Beloved, I am compassionate about you. Be diligent don't stop living a life that is doctrinally and morally pure. Remember that the Lord is patient so that more folks can get saved, and you're supposed to play a part in that. It's not just up to him. There are some passages in Scripture that are hard to understand. There are others that the ignorant take and a twist for their own sinfulness and pleasure. So you take care. Don't lose your way. Continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus to him be the glory forever and ever. And for those of you who grew up in the church, for those who have had the privilege of studying the Bible and walking with Jesus, it's not a surprise to you that Jesus is coming back. You've known, you've heard, you've read that. You know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You know that God is going to hold us accountable. But for some reason, we don't live like we really believe that to be true. We don't fear the judgment of God like we should. We don't prioritize our time to make sure that we are seeking godliness and holiness above everything else. We don't actively participate in God's greater plan for all to be saved by being daily evangelists. And we don't live with urgency Instead, we live a life as though we are blinded or have become complacent and that we don't really understand that every single day is a gift and this might be our last one. I think we really don't see or understand that Jesus could come back at any second. And if he did, we would be so ashamed of the way that we live. We'd be so ashamed Of the pitiful amount of time that we spend in His Word and talking to Him, we'd be so ashamed of the lack of sharing the good news that we do in our life. I did a funeral recently for a man who was 61 years old. That's young on all accounts. And I sat down to visit with his wife, and she said he had three more months until retirement. Three more months. She said we had three more months until our retirement home was going to be finished and then we could enjoy retirement together. And it wasn't that he didn't live life. He did. He lived it well. But he still had a point in time that he was looking forward to, as most people do, going just a couple more years. And then I'll hit retirement. Then I can do all those things that I've wanted to do. And we do that same thing in our spiritual life where we say, Once I get to this point, then I can become more serious and faithful in my Bible study and my prayer. Once I don't have to work all this overtime, then I will start serving the Lord and the church. Once I graduate high school, when I graduate college, then I'll start telling more people about God's love. Once I'm able just to breathe and life slows down, maybe after the holidays, then I can start working on my holiness and my godliness. But until then... Surely, God understands. Let me tell you what God understands. God understands that his perfect son lived a perfect life and died a criminal's death on a cross, and he bore the wrath of God the Father that we might be forgiven. That's what God understands. God understands that he has been called, he has called us, to live a life of obedience and faithfulness. God understands that he has clearly told us to keep watch until he is coming, so we need to be ready. God understands that there are lost souls all around us, and it's up to us to point them towards Jesus. In the waiting room, when you don't know what God is up to and how much longer you're going to have to be there or what you're supposed to be doing in the meantime, Peter says, know this, the day of the Lord is a day that some doubt, but you should not. He's coming back. The day of the Lord, it draws near. So don't wait until tomorrow to know him or to love him or to serve him or to share him because today might be your last chance. The day of the Lord is a day that we often deny because if we really understood what God has done, is doing, and what he is going to do, it would change the way that we live our lives daily, especially in the waiting room.